Hello everyone, thank you so much for coming. Thank you to the faculty members for bringing your students. It's great to see so many people here again on campus. Um, I wanted to thank the library for hosting today and Tish and Tara for helping out and Multimedia for getting us going today. Um, my name is Kevin Navratel and I am a political science professor at the college. Uh, I also serve as the Democracy Commitment Coordinator and in this position over the years I've had a lot of events trying to promote civic literacy and a lot of those events have been focused on national politics, discussions with local leaders. So today, I'm very excited to be joined by one of our uh, board of trustee members, uh, Jacqueline O'Day. Um, and I'd just like to introduce her a little bit here, and, and then I'd like you to all welcome her to our campus. Um, so uh, as I just mentioned, uh, trustee O'Day is one of our members of the board of trustees. Um, previously to this, she served as the executive director of the Problem Solvers Caucus. This is a group of 58 Democrats and Republicans, an equal number of, of both uh, parties, who uh, work to try to solve uh, major issues. Uh, they have common sense solutions to some of the major issues that our country is facing. Uh, previously, she was chief of staff for House of Representative Dan Lipinski. Uh, he was a House of Representative for about 16 years, and it actually, uh, he was a representative for this district when it was the third district, uh, Moraine Valley was in that district. Um, previous to that, she was Chief of Staff and Administrator for, of Legislative Affairs for Illinois Capital Development Board. Um, she also served as the Deputy Director for Legislative Affairs in the Illinois Department of Human Services, and she was the Chief of Constituent Services of Illinois Department of Corrections. And she was also, once upon a time, the student body president at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. So please join me in welcoming uh, Trustee O'Day. Well, thank you. And we'll have a quiz later about what all the departments and everything does, OK? So hope you guys all paid attention. Yeah, awesome. All right, so uh, just to get us started, I'm going to ask some questions, um, but we are going to turn it out over to our group. Uh, so if there's questions that you have, I passed around some index cards. If, if you're more comfortable kind of asking it anonymously, or we do have a microphone that we can pass around too. We like this to be interactive, so please uh, participate. Um, so when did you first get interested in politics, and what, what do you think made you interested? Well, I, I tell everybody my my career in government started in sixth grade student government at Payless South Middle School. That's where it started. Never realized that government was a career path. I didn't know anyone in government. I didn't know any politicians. It was just a natural kind of trajectory. Went from sixth grade student government to STAG student government um, to U of I student government. And then I started kind of running into people and they were saying like, hey, have you ever thought about working in government or politics? And I was like, what's that, right? Like, I didn't really know. I hadn't had any exposure to it. And so it wasn't until um, former Governor Quinn, we were lobbying as students to get um, Lincoln Hall, which was where one-sixth of all of our classes took place on campus, to get it renovated. We, we partnered with the Illinois Student Film Club, put together a student video, we sent it to all the elected officials in the state. And we got Governor Quinn to come to our campus to tour, to tour the hall. And uh, you know, that's when his staff told me there was a fellowship in the governor's office that you could apply for that's been around for now 40 years uh, for recent college grads. And so that's how I got into it, just by, just by being at the right place, right time. Awesome. <laughs> and then so uh, with your, you know, many of our students here, we, we have a lot of student clubs on campus. Um, 
you were very involved. I think you're in the uh, student senate as well. Yeah. So, what about the, um, running for a position on campus? Like, what made you decide to do that when you were in college? And you know, the the idea of like being the student body president. So, as student body president, I was involved in over 40 committees. Um, task forces, selection committees, and it really gets you involved in your campus to be a stronger voice. For me, I'm someone who loves giving back to the community. I love, you know, ensuring that, you know, good work is being done and we're helping facilitate that. So I guess it's something that's always been something I'm passionate about. Um, but why should you join a student club? Leadership roles matter. I mean, so whether you get a job one day, you can talk back about that leadership experience you had. You get to know your fellow students on campus. Um, and it gives you another perspective to meet people. I really have enjoyed student groups. Um, as a student, uh, even in grad school, I was in student groups because you get to meet different people, learn about their backgrounds, they teach you something new. And um, yeah, you just, you make new friends. Yeah, uh, I just want to reiterate that. When I was a student, I was not very involved at all. And I think that one of the things that's key as a student to really make those connections. Um, so I'm really impressed that she was able to do that. And I hope that many of you do that as well. So you're able to meet more of your uh, fellow students and get involved in the issues that matter to you. Um, so talk to me a little bit about this trustee position. Um, and with my students who are here in my American government class, we, uh, we've been talking about federalism this week. And when most people, when we talk about the government, we have one federal government and we have 50 state governments. But we've got about 90,000 units of government in the United States. And most of those are, the 99.9% .9 of those are at the local level. So tell us about this trustee position that you currently serve in. You know, um, what, what do board of trustees do? Uh, what made you want to be a trustee? Yeah, so great question. So what made me want to be a trustee is I've had this experience in a lot of different trustees to help um, you know, guide the institution. So our role as trustees is to kind of help set the policy direction. Um, and so we work very closely. There's seven trustees. Um, we have a president of the board as well. And um, you know, we, help, we work closely with the president to help kind of set the policy direction and, um, you know, if we have ideas, we'll, we'll let Dr. Haney know who's here, who is uh, wonderful. I don't know where she went, but. She's in the back corner. Wave. Dr. Haney is there. So there's, we have the president here. Um, so please say hello, you know, if you guys get a chance. Um, and um, I missed part of the question. I'm getting, I got lost there. Oh, just what trustees do. And uh, you talked a little bit already about what, you, what made you want to be a trustee. That was, those are the two parts. Yeah. Okay. All right, so, um, you know, in that position, and we, in my class, I'm trying to connect to my American government students who happen to be here, um, there's a lot of different ways that we can represent our constituents. And, you know, I, I didn't list off everything in her resume, but it's really extensive, uh, a couple of master's degrees. So we've had this idea of like a trustee, and it's, or position now is literally a trustee, but there's this idea of, of representation where a representative has so much more expertise, knowledge, and experience that when they make decisions, they should just do it based on what they think is best. And that the people they're representing don't often know much about <laughs> these issues, so they shouldn't really consult with them as much. They should just make decisions as this trustee model. Um, and then there's another model that's it's more of like a, a delegate theory where, well, no, they really represent us and they should simply do what we want them to do where you kind of consult public opinion or it could be things like um, letters to your office or emails or people who happen to be talking to you. So how do you, 
and then there's another model about being kind of partisan where you do with what your part, you, you vote along kind of party lines or I guess in this case how some of the other trustees uh, might vote. So how do you balance those or how, how do you think, maybe not, I guess it's kind of a two-part question, how you would view representation and then what you think kind of the ideal, you know, whether it's um, Representative Lipinski or former Representative Lipinski or somebody who's currently in government. What, which of those models do you think might be best and why? Well, I think it's a kind of a hybrid of both, right? I mean, there's obviously leveraging your own expertise, but there's also making sure you're being responsive and responsible in, to your constituents. And I think in Congress, that's a place where your where you, when you write into your representative, so in this area, it's for most people, it's Congressman Sean Caston. He's our congressman right now. Um, they do track what issues you're writing in about, and you know they're tallied, right? And so that kind of helps um, go into the decision-making process. Now, as a trustee, we don't get a lot of in-mail from you guys, but I'm hopeful after today we do. <laughs> so I have I have my cards up. I have my cards here that I'm gonna you know leave out for you guys. So if you do have ideas or things you're passionate about please do reach out. I think that's really important. Um, so I think it's kind of a hybrid of both. I really don't think that, you know, you can't just vote your conscience all the time because you have to be listening to what your constituents are saying too. Yet at the same time, if you're always listening to your constituents, they may not be seeing a certain, th certain part of the vote. They, you, the vote, as it's described in the media, might be very simple on the surface, but there may be layers that are very complex underneath that perhaps um, are not visible until you really dive into the policy and maybe see it's not as great as it, as it appears to be. So related to that, when you were uh, chief of staff for Representative Lipinski, were, can you share a little bit, like, are there a lot of um, contacts to the office? And if so, are they predominantly phone calls? Um, I served for just a, a short amount of time as an intern for a state representative, and I was really surprised at how little there was in terms of correspondence from constituents. Um, and so I was just kind of wondering at the national level when you were in this position, was there a lot? Because they represent about 750,000 yep. people. So Thousands. There's yeah. thousands of inquiries. Yeah. Um, those come in phone calls. Those come in email. Um, a lot more come in email, like a lot of email campaigns. Um, forest preserves, nature, green, those are really hot issues in this area. And I'm sure a lot of you guys are passionate about those issues. But those are some of the top issues that were really important to people writing in. Um, obviously, we have some amazing forest preserves around, so that I think also um, is, a, is a great thing we have in the area that makes it unique. Um, but thousands. And I would say there's a difference, too, between like issue-driven calls and then like constituent casework. If you ever need help, like let's say with a passport issue, uh, immigration issues, um, health care, um, other casework issues, then you would want to call the local office of, of Congressman Kasten versus if you, if you want to, you know, say, hey, you should vote for this piece of legislation or you should support these issues, that's when you're writing in on the website or you're calling the Washington, D.C. office. So kind of a helpful distinction, you know, but it is important for your voice to be heard. So I'm really interested in one of the particular positions that you've had um, as the executive director of the Problem Solvers Caucus. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about like, what the main goal of the Problem Solvers Caucus happens to be, things that they work on? Yeah, so it was a, so Congressman Lipinski was very involved in this group, and when he left Congress, I was fortunate to move into the executive director role. So I, I reported to over 50 members of Congress equally divided um, between both parties. So if you can imagine, you know, 
in Congress, you know, getting, getting a consensus can sometimes be challenging, but all the members were committed to common sense solutions to the nation's toughest, toughest problems. And what that meant was um, they believed that there wasn't a monopoly on either party having good ideas or good people. And so what they did is, you know, they really worked to build consensus. And one of the areas that they worked on was the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill, which is the nation's largest investment in infrastructure um, ever. Um, Illinois also did one of these um, in 2009. So I've been fortunate to be involved in both of those efforts in trying to make sure that we have legislation that gets across the finish line that's bipartisan, meaning both sides of the aisle have supported that and been involved in drafting that legislation and bringing it to the floor. So um, it's not often you see bipartisan legislation, um, and it's so important because then you have long-standing policy that no matter what party's in control, that policy is going to be there to most likely stay a long time um, versus if you have legislation that, you know, it's being put in, it's purely partisan, what happens is then party, the party's in, in control, whether it's the president or whether it's in Congress or the Senate, it flips, and then all of a sudden they change direction. We saw that with um, some tax changes a couple years ago. Right, and so you know things are constantly flipping back and forth. Then these agencies have it takes them time to implement that stuff, and then all of a sudden they're flipping and going in the other direction. So it's not really efficient for our government, and two, it doesn't really lead to long-standing positive change for the country. So that was my kind of next question about the importance of uh, bipartisan solutions, but she really answered that already about how it's it's going to be much more likely to have uh, be long-lasting instead of it just being done in a partisan way, which for those keeping track, most of our major legislation has been very um, uh, passed by one party and, and not been bipartisan. But um, why wouldn't more people, I guess there's kind of two parts of this, um, either how do you convince people to be, so you, you grew that caucus, the Problem Solvers Caucus, how do you um, get members to buy into to this. And then I guess on the flip side, there's part of me thinking, why aren't more members willing to be problem sol solvers and working together in a bipartisan uh, way? So one of the, so members do work in a bipartisan fashion in their own different ways, even if they're necessarily not part of the group. Um, but one of the key things in being a member of the Problem Solvers Caucus is you cannot campaign against another member of the group. Meaning, so if there's, you know, there's Democrats and Republicans in the group, so you can't write a campaign check against one of your Republican, you know, in their election, you can't get involved and vice versa. So that really allowed there to be a safe space for conversations to take place, honest discussions without the fear that what you're saying in the room, trying to build bipartisan consensus for the nation was going to get used against you in your next election. So creating that safe space was really important. That also it's great that you have that space for the members, but also it's unfortunate because I wish all of you could have sat in that room with me and seen all the awesome work that was going on um, behind closed doors because there are really a lot of members of Congress, even though on the outside it looks like everyone's very partisan. If you see what the news covers, if you turn on you know, CNN or Fox or MSNBC, you think, oh my gosh, members don't really like each other. They actually do like each other a lot and have a lot of bipartisan friendships. You just don't see it because the news doesn't report on it. I'd like to maybe follow up a little bit about why that might be or, you know, why would we get one version in the media and, um, but behind doors you see a very different version. Like, what do you think may be going on there? Well, the media is in the business of entertaining. They're not necessarily in the business of necessarily reporting the news as is. 
Um, so one of the questions that I love to ask people before, you know, if we start engaging in a political discussion, I'll say, where do you get your news? Because I think it's really important where you get your news. More than 50% of the people get their news online through social media. But sometimes you'll click through a website, and maybe the website you're clicking on actually isn't a reputable website. So people will send me stuff, and I'll say, well, I've never heard of this website. Like, what is it? Like, there's a lot of foreign adversaries I hate, that hate to say this, but unfortunately are trying to meddle and give a lot of misinformation out there. And so um, China and Russia in particular are very good at creating fake websites and propping them up and trying to confuse Americans in terms of believing what's news and what's not news. Is it possible, or to what extent do you think that people may say things publicly, so I give a speech and it gets covered by, I don't know, MSNBC or Fox News, and so by me talking negatively about the other side, I may then get more headlines, more attention, sure. more retweets on Twitter, whatever the social media is that people have, versus the hard work that's going on quietly behind the scenes that doesn't get that same kind of attention or um, followers on you know, social media. I think, I think you hit on a key point there, right? I mean, where you get your news matters because a lot of times people are following certain news that, that's more aligned with their ideological beliefs. Um, and so people, there's legislators that are doing things to try to get clicks and social media followers, and then there's people that are trying to do the hard work of governing and you know, passing bipartisan laws and getting things done for the American people. Um, so I think, you know, when you go to the voting box, you have to look and see, okay, what has this person actually done? Like, what, what is their tracker of results? Or have they just become famous on social media and have a lot of followers? There's a difference um, in entertaining versus governing. And I think there's a key distinction there. Um, and it's important. But a lot of people don't, don't see it because a lot of times Americans are so focused on the entertainment yeah. element. Right. Um, one, we, we related to the Problem Solvers Caucus, you mentioned that... Um, that there was a major infrastructure bill that passed that was bipartisan. Um, how, so we have uh, a mindset sometimes that government can solve uh, problems, and you've got these problem-solving sol problem caucuses working together. But what role does like the private sector, and how would you or d did you in this position do the problem-solving caucus work together with like um, you know b major businesses, and is there kind of connections there with the private sector? Well. Yeah, so one of the reasons also that motivated me to want to be a trustee was we kept having Fortune 500 CEOs come in and talk to our members, and they were closed door, off the record. So, you know, like Apple CEO Tim Cook or Sundar Pakai, the, the Google CEO, and, you know, CEOs from major companies would come in and talk to our members and talk about how you didn't need a four-year degree anymore to go work for these companies, how a two-year degree in associates, how community college is so powerful, and how there's really this shift in mindset in a lot of these companies. And so that for me was really exciting. And I was like, I need, I need to take some of this back home um, and bring this back to Moraine. Because to me, that's really exciting, helping get people good paying careers. Now, what we did in terms of legislative front was when we, we would signal, oftentimes come out with a framework or come out with a statement or we would do something like that. And it would be a signal to the business community. And we would call them and say, hey, we just put out a statement. We want to let you know that this is the stance we're taking on this infrastructure bill. And they would kind of help rally in the background, too. So there was a lot of coalition building that happened, especially around that infrastructure bill, um, because there was a lot of Republican members that were kind of being pulled away and told, no, don't vote for that. Don't give President Biden a win. We don't want to do that, right? But ultimately, an infrastructure bill is good for the country. When you talk about waterways needing work, or you talk about roads, you talk about bridges, you talk about, I mean, even 
even programs in there to help us, you know, try to get more battery manufacturing in the United States so that we can get more green vehicles and um, critical minerals because we need these critical minerals to build your cell phones and your computers, stuff like that. So you think infrastructure, it's a lot more broader than just roads, um, but these are key issues that the nation needs to move forward, especially to stay competitive globally. Um, and those are things we're not necessarily thinking about every day, but there's yeah. things in there that we need to be doing for the future. So when you spoke about wins for the president, um, maybe just um, other issues that you or the, pro the Problem Solving Caucus was working on, um, and it could have maybe even during the Trump administration or the Biden administration to where how the party that is not the party of the presidency, the kind of out party, if you will, why they might not want to give a win to the president. Like what's going on there? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that gets it like, gets back to the earlier question about representative versus delegate. And then I think part of it becomes this, you know, this mentality that you have to vote with your party, that you must vote with your party in order for your party to gain control of the next Congress. Or we don't want to give the president a win. And so right now we have a divided, you know, well, it's a very narrow majority, but the Republicans, you know, um, you know, are in charge in the U.S. House and in the Senate. Um, Democrats have a very narrow majority as well. Um, you know, and obviously the president is, is of the Democratic Party. And so with that, I mean, bipartisanship becomes even more important in, in that space. But you also have, you're seeing a lot from the polar extremes right now and how the polar extremes are trying to pull, especially on the Republican side, um, leadership in a way um, that is not necessarily helpful for trying to move the country forward. Because right now we don't have any of the federal appropriations bills in place right now. For example, the federal fiscal year, um, starts October 1 and we're not going to be having, we're not going to have federal appropriations bills to fund all the government agencies. So we'll be doing a short-term solution most likely. Um, but that's not helpful because government needs to have certainty in order to run programs to make sure that people's Pell Grants are, are going to be there and making sure that, um, you know, different grants that the college relies on and our entities are there and agencies can run properly. And do you think, um, the uh, bipartisanship, like what, what makes it so rare? You know, I read, I just heard recently that Mitt Romney, not a House of Representative, but uh, a senator who, who's kind of known for working across the aisle, Republican senator who worked with Democrats, mm -hmm. um, is retiring. And it seems like that's more of a trend where members who might be bipartisan, you, you work, um, yeah. uh, Dan Lipinski was also one of those. It's kind of like a dying breed, if you will, of these either House of Representatives or Senators who are maybe more moderate and voting across the lines. Um, you know, do you want to either speak to maybe why some of them might be leaving or why bipartisanship might be so challenging I, today? I think a lot of it has to do with the way our elections are, are set up. Um, right now, when you go to the ballot box, you know, in a, in a primary election, so next spring, you'll have the option. Do you want to pull a Republican ballot, a Democratic ballot, a Green Party ballot? You don't have the option to vote for candidates on both ballots. There could be candidates that you like on both ballots, but unfortunately, the way that Illinois has it set up, you can't do that. There are some states that are moving, though, in the direction like California and Alaska, where you have ranked choice. So it's a ballot with all the names, and you just vote like for the top two that you like in California. And I'm not, I think Alaska allows more than two. But then, then the primary then moves on to the top candidates. And in some cases in California, it's two Democrats. Um, the, the top two vote getters, and then you get to vote from those two who you like the best. And I think 
that I think the way our elections are structured in this country, I think, is part of the reason why yeah. we see such upper partisanship. Because people that come out of a primary, whether it be a Democratic primary or Republican party primary, I should say, are sometimes more more pol more polarizing to get through that primary, and then they ultimately win. Versus the person that might be a better suited candidate for everyone in this given community might not be able to get through a primary on either side. And that's why I think you're seeing, um, you know, people like. Uh, Senator Mitt Romney, and then also Senator Rob Portman also left recently, who was also a good ally. And these are some of the allies that we work with in the Problem Solvers Caucus as well. So very you closely. worked yeah. closely with yeah, the we, Senate. Yeah, we worked very closely with the Senate. You know, Senator Romney, Senator Manchin, Senator Sinema, Senator Portman. So those were some of our allies that we worked with when going back and forth to try to get bipartisan legislation done. And for those of you keeping score, a couple of those names are also kind of uh, considering leaving um, or being defeated in primaries, too, um, whether it's Senator Manchin from West Virginia to talk about um, leaving the position as well. So um, I, I have a, a few more questions that I, I definitely would like to get to, but we're almost 30 minutes in now, and I'd, I'd like this to be interactive. You've been a yeah. very great uh, audience so far of, of listening, but um, I know that we passed out index cards if you're more comfortable, if there's a question that you have, if you want to pass it to the end, um, we have um, one of our librarians, Tish Hayes, who could um, pick those up. Or if you prefer, if you want to raise your hand and ask a question of uh, Trustee O'Day. Microphone, right? Yes, there is a microphone that we can pass around. And there's no questions that are bad questions. So please, I welcome your questions. And being first is best, right? Getting the ball rolling. <laughs> Yeah, bonus points for those of you who asked the first question. And, and yes, if you wanted to pass your card to the end, then we can have. Um, yes, please. Thank you, Caitlin. I don't have a card because I left my book bag, but we'll use the phone. Hello. My first question is I was really interested. Well, it's kind of a question, kind of a statement. I was really interested in when she was talking about like Apple CEO and Google CEO coming in and talking about how two-year degrees are just as powerful as four-year degrees now. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, when did that start to happen? Like, who decided that? Like, when did that start to happen, that two-year degrees are pretty much just as good as four now, you're saying? Yeah, I think it depends on the given area, right? And I think what they were saying is, you know, they have they 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 came in and they had those conversations. When was it? Um, last year in last 2022. Year. Yeah, both both them came in last year in 2022, and they said that. And there's also a lot of open coursework that they have on their websites. So there's tons of free Apple, Google, HP has like tons of free certificates that you can get on their websites. Um, a lot of times they'll train you themselves. Um, so if those are companies you're interested in working for, you know. Definitely, definitely, um, you know, poke around on their website, see what they have. I know the college does have uh, some sort of works, does work with Microsoft currently right now. Um, so That was, like, super interesting and also inspiring to hear. So yeah. I just no. wanted to make a comment on no, thank, yeah, thank, thank you for your question. I appreciate it. And so, again, and feel free to follow up, too, with me. I have, again, my, my cards all out to everyone that wants them at the end. Thank you for getting us started. And I think there's another question that maybe somebody passed. Uh, oh, yeah. Here we go. Thank you. <laughs> well, you don't have to okay. stand up. So um, I know you're talking a little bit about like um, 
like social media and how like people get their information from like social media and other websites. Um, do you think that um, like getting information from like social media or just social media in general has more of like positive or negative effects like within the government? I think it depends on what you're clicking on. So when the Microsoft CEO came, he was telling us that if you don't have a major newspaper in your given geographic area, and fortunately we do have major newspapers in the given geographic area, most likely you are getting your information from a Russian propped up media site. And I was like, no. But that they are running such a sophisticated, um, they're running it in, in over 20 different languages and they're pushing disinformation. So while Russia was telling their citizens, go get vaccinated, they're pushing disinformation in America, don't get vaccinated, for example. Um, they did a lot of similar things related to the, the war in Ukraine. And, you know, like bioweapons labs, they had someone post a video on social media um, before they invaded Ukraine, and then all of a sudden they, put, they, they pointed to that website after they invaded Ukraine, oh, there's bioweapons labs. And so oftentimes you, you you don't realize like what you're clicking on. You might think it's an informed site, but I would just say like check check your news source. Like is this okay? So like you know you have a Politico or the Hill or Chicago Tribune, Chicago Sun Times, you know CNN, Fox. You know make sure you where you're clicking on isn't like the news source, right? Like <laughs> I, I I mean it's, it's anyone can prop up anything and say oh this is news, right? But checking where you're getting your news from is is really important because again you might lose a good friend over it where you're sending information to them and they're like, well, what is this? I don't know if this is actually accurate. Um, and so I think we've seen that journalism has changed so much. Yeah. And so now it's really confused a lot of people in terms of how you're getting your news. Is this a reliable news source? And so ask yourself that question. If not, just do, do a quick Google search. Like, is the news source a real website? And what you might find out is, no, this, is, this isn't a real news site. And so just check your news sources. And if you have certain... Then, Eventually, you'll find ones, hopefully, hopefully ones that you like and that you'll go to and come to rely on. I, feel, I watch all the news networks because I think it helps me build perspective on, okay, what are Republicans thinking if I'm watching Fox? What are Democrats thinking if I'm watching MSNBC, CNN, kind of a blend of the both? Um, and then, you know, I, I, I read a variety of online sources, too. So I kind of mix my news up so I can see how is the same story being reported on Fox versus MSNBC. That also is very telling, too. So thank you for the question. Yeah, great question. And, um, you know, we're in a great place for that question, too. That We have great uh, librarians here, and they do a lot of great work on information literacy, um, helping people out with sources and, and being able to kind of sift through. Um, some of this, it's, uh, there's a lot of content out there, and uh, there's a lot of good content, and some of it not so good, as Trustee O'Day just referenced. So, other questions, if you want to raise your hand, or, yeah, yeah, thank you. So, just give us one second to get the microphone to you, please. Okay, my question is, what advice would you give us students if we wanted to follow you, like not follow you, but like pursue or consider politics? Like what, the, what are the steps that we can look forward to or, you know, walk towards to get there? Yeah, no, great question. So first off, um, get involved. Get involved in local student groups. I think that was something we chatted about a little bit. Um, two, you know, if 
doesn't matter what political party you're for, get involved in a political campaign. Volunteer, make calls, knock on doors. Um, those are all things that I, I, I enjoy doing in my free time when I'm not a trustee. Um, but like those are ways to get involved in campaigns. Um, you know, and, and most importantly, get, find ways to give back to your community, whatever that is. So um, again, student groups are a great place to start. You can volunteer. Um, and, and network, get to know different people, you know, get your name out there, maybe go for an internship. There's a lot of great internships that are offered in government. The Water Reclamation District um, has one, the Secretary of State has one. Um, there's a whole slew of them um, that are out there and available. I'd be happy to share that information with you um, in terms of the internships that are out there in government. Yeah. Such a great question, and um, both of us will be available after this event if you have individual questions. I just offered you. A, it's totally uh, fine. I'm here. I, I said I'll stay as I'll stay as long as you, as, as I'll stay as long as I well, need to. Well, thank you for that uh, <laughs> generosity. Uh, and but the point I to her point, um, I get a lot of emails from uh, elected officials who are asking for student interns to be part of their campaigns. And so again, like. Uh, Trustee O'Day mentioned that there's Republicans, there's Democrats, so you know I'd be happy to take your name down, email, and let you know when those those opportunities. We're we're in the maybe uh, it, it seems like it's been a, a election was really close, but we have another we have multiple elections coming up again, so there's going to be lots of opportunities to get involved in, in, in those if, if you're interested. Right now, it's it's no um, yeah no okay. everyone's got to start somewhere. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so right now it's a petition collection collecting season. So people that are wanting to be on the ballot next fall are starting to circulate petitions. So people may be coming to knock on your door, asking you to sign uh, petitions, or you might see people out and about in the community asking you to sign petitions so that people can get on the ballot to get elected. And we have positions on campus too, as, as she mentioned, student government or student groups. Uh, we have a student government group. We also have a student trustee that is yeah. part of our Marine Valley Board of Trustees that's an elected position. I think it's a year. Yeah, it could be every year. Every year. So this is something that somebody in this room, I would hope, might consider uh, running for um, for next year. Um, so uh, great question. And you know, related to that, um, in my in my first day of class, I had 14 students in my American government class. We did a survey, and we asked whether you're registered to vote and whether you've ever voted. And and certainly, many of our students are on the younger side of, of being just maybe voting age recently, but only one person out of the 14 has ever voted. Um, can you make a case of why it's important for citizens to vote, particularly the uh, traditional kind of college age student 18 to 24? Yes, I, I pulled some stats on this one, so I'm referring to my notes on this one. But uh, so one out of 10 eligible voters in the, 2020, in the 2020 election were part of Gen Z, so born after 1996, all right? so your political clout will continue to steadily grow um, in the coming years as more Gen Z reach voting age. So as many as 7 million to 9 million more Gen Z could cast ballots in the 2024 election. So that's exciting um, compared to the 2020. And as a result, it'll be the first time Gen Z and millennials combined could account for as many votes next year as baby boomers. So that's a really big deal because traditionally, you know, oftentimes it's been baby boomers that politicians are catering towards because they vote. And so, you know, your age group, you know, 
your precinct, where you live, that's all tracked. And so voting, not who you vote for isn't tracked, but you know, making sure you get out there to the ballot box and vote, it is so easy to vote. Whether you vote by mail, you can early vote, you can vote on election day, they make it easy. You don't need an excuse to early vote, you don't need an excuse to vote by mail. Um, so there's really no excuse not to vote. Um, if you say, oh my gosh, I don't know who to vote for, um, research your candidates, you know, talk to people in your family that are passionate about voting or talk to a friend or a neighbor or someone that's ex excited about voting. If you really don't have anyone else to talk to, call me. I'll let you know. Um, <laughs> um, you know, but I mean, but that's the thing. I mean, your vote is really, really important. And so um, it's your voice. And so without, without voting, if you don't vote, then you can't complain about who's in office. So, I mean, you can't say, oh, I don't like so-and-so who's on office. Well, th my next question for you will be, did you vote? No, you didn't vote. Well, I've seen elections won by one vote. I've seen congressional elections won by 10 votes. I mean, so when you say, my, when people tell me my vote doesn't count, I'm like, I've seen elections won by a flip of a coin because it was tied. I mean, your vote really does matter. It is powerful. Um, and so don't forget that and don't lose sight of that because that is your voice. And again, it's so easy to vote. Um, and this generation, I'm millennial, but you know, Gen Z and millennials, if we, if we actually get out there to the ballot box, we can make a really big difference in the trajectory of our nation. So go vote. Wow, very well said. Other questions? I see one in the back. We'll just, a couple in the back, if you could wait for a microphone. Uh, thank you. I'm a graduate of Moraine Valley in, uh, I still take classes here, but I've been very fortunate and I've been able to talk to a lot of minority students at uh, uh, LA Fitness uh, gyms and what have you and talk to them about going to school. And it's surprising how many of them will tell me, keep talking because we really need the encouragement. And they go on to become police officers. I had two students that I talked to, uh, talked to them into going to Moraine. They graduated from Moraine. They graduated from Governor State uh, last May, majored in cybersecurity and criminal justice. And they both told me, they said, we never would have gone to school if you hadn't encouraged us. What I would suggest to students that are going to school now is talk to your buddies and tell them, you know, what a great thing it is. And, it, and it's worked out for me. And like I say, I'm sort of a lifelong student. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for your comment. No, yeah, thank you for your encouragement. I think that's really important, talking to people in your community and, and sharing with them your experience and how it's been impactful in your life and encouraging other people to, you know, get educated too. Again, we talked about the power of a two-year degree, you know, to go on to work for some major companies. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Um, my name is Mary. I, I teach here um, uh, history and political science and sociology as well. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, I'm really interested in, in hearing you talk about the problem of solving caucus as well. Um, and then obviously it's hard to prognosticate, and I want to put you in that role, so whatever you, you're comfortable sharing. It kind of seems as though in the Senate, they're a little bit, the, the problem solving or at least working together seems to be working out a little bit better right now. What are your thoughts in terms of the House, if you feel comfortable sharing, like is, is it, are there the prospects for the future in terms of, of future problem solving? Um, and I know I, I hear the idea that it, behind closed doors, things seem to be better than they are in front of the cameras, but does it seem like it's trending towards a positive direction or do you think it's just gonna kind of continue a status quo? 
I think that, uh, you know, so Leader McCarthy is, is, is um, he, I'm sorry, Speaker McCarthy is in charge of the U.S. House right now. And so, you know, in order, I don't know if anyone was paying attention in January when he was trying to muster the votes to become Speaker McCarthy, but it was um, some great, great video footage because part of when they pass rules, the rules dictate how the camera angles can go. But before they, before they can pass the rules, they have to have a speaker. And so we were able to get some incredible footage. But I think in order for him to get selected that position, he made some deals and some compromises that are very challenging and I think are make problem solving harder. Um, he made some commitments to people, particularly in the Freedom Caucus, so in the, on the far right side, um, you know, relative to them kind of being able to push him out of his leadership role if they're unhappy. Um, he made, you know, you may have seen this week uh, an impeachment inquiry is being opened for President Biden. Not sure why, but um, there's one being opened by um, Republican-controlled House right now. Um, and so it's harder. I think, I think what's, made it, what's making it harder is it's a more divided Congress. You have a lot of members that were very bipartisan that, that saw that value in working across the aisle, even if they weren't formally in the Problem Solvers Caucus, that left Congress last, um, last, last cycle, so retired in, in early January, um, end of December. And so you have a more divided Congress, and I think that speaks to our elections. And again, comes, comes back to why it's so important to vote in elections in primaries, in general elections, to make sure that you know we elect people that are common sense leaders that want the best for our country moving forward. Um, so, am I hopeful? Well, the Senate oftentimes are, are the grown up adults, then then kind of they're the grown up adults, and they kind of force things onto the House. So I do foresee that potentially being the course forward um, this Congress um, with a divided Congress. Um, I'm glad that so much did happen in the first two years of President Biden's presidency. You know, there was a major chips, chips, chips legislation that also the Problem Solvers Caucus worked on, in addition to the bipartisan infrastructure bill, um, which was really significant. So we had those big wins. Um, I think it's. I think we're still a little bit early on to, to tell, um, but seeing as though we're already going into election season, it's going to get more and more divided. Is because once we turn on January one, people flip into election mode and become even more partisan, unfortunately. So my, my hope is that everyone here goes out and registers to vote. Other questions for Trustee O'Day, either with the microphone or if you want to pass down the index cards? There's no bad questions, I promise. Well, I'm not done asking mine yet. All right, so there, all right. Well, we can go could, back to yours. There could still be a bad question. We can go question. back to yours, and maybe they'll spark, and maybe they'll spark some ideas for, yeah. for others. Well, I, I had one related to, to uh, a comment that you made, you know, that we've been talking about behind closed doors. One of the, you know, I just want to juxtapose. I've uh, pretty much either been teaching political science or learning about it in graduate school for the last 20-some years. But I, I don't have any real-world political experience like you do. And so you've actually been in Washington multiple times and, 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 and working in the House of Representatives with House of Representatives. But I remember reading in graduate school, you know, we, uh, uh, it used to be that many of those members of Congress would like have their families hanging out together. They'd, their kids would go to school together. They'd have, you know, barbecues together. And there was more time spent outside of Congress together. 
Whereas now the calendar, it's like they're, they, they, they're in Washington for a few days and then they're back in their districts. And I just, is that true? Like, did you see that when you were in Washington where there's, were, were, were behind, behind closed doors, were they hanging out or were they friends? And um, were they spending a lot of time together? Or, you know, is, is that happening today or, or not? Yeah, it still happens. Uh, we had a member of the Freedom Caucus and a member of the Progressive Caucus that lived in the same house. Um, out of our members. So, no, it exists. Yes, it still yeah. happens. Um, you know, it was, yeah, so they do hang out outside. You know, it is more common to have more of your partisan friendships, but bipartisanship friendships still exist outside, um, outside of Congress. And there's a lot of groups, too, that are dedicated to trying to kind of build common sense bridges in Congress. And so oftentimes the, these, like, different interest groups or there'll be nonprofits will kind of bring together people and you know, a member from both sides of the aisle. Um, and a lot of times they have to work together. I mean, they have to work together and you don't see it again out in the open all the time, but behind closed doors, there's a lot more that happens than you know. Than, than you know. Um, I will also mention, I, meant, I forgot to mention this earlier, every single week at the beginning of the week, there's a consent agenda. And so that's essentially, here's all the legislation that we agree to. Um, and that usually goes through, you know, very fast and is voted on kind of as a block because both sides have agreed these are bipartisan things that we are all agreeing to, and, you know, and they move forward. So bipartisan work does happen every week. It's just not really exciting, you know, stuff. Maybe we're naming a post office or um, something like that, you know, and so that's not stuff that often rises to the top of, you know, the, the, late, the, night, the nightly news. Other questions? that you may have for Trustee O'Day? Who's going to vote in the next election? <laughs> all right, all right, we're close. We're getting there. That, that sounds more, that better than your yeah, first we're, earlier. We're, yeah, I love it. We uh, see a big increase in interest already. So um, we have a, a question up front. No. Everyone. Everyone's pointing at you, Janet. Oh, okay. oh yeah. We, we all raised our hands. We are so, we're so hopeful that somebody's raised their hand. We are, Jim. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. No, we. It's so awesome to have you here. It is. It's so much fun. So I'm sorry. No, but what you were just saying before about the idea of Kevin and I have talked about this a lot before too. Just that. It's, it's evident that like, if you don't really follow the political process, it does seem like if you're watching things, all you're seeing is just the constant partisan fighting. And, yes. and we've often talked about the idea that it's got to be a little bit different on the ground there. The same way that when you're at a job, you're dealing with people on an everyday basis and you're just kind of, you're working with them and just the normalcy of every day is not seen. And I kind of almost wonder if it might benefit some of the, the congressmen who are and sort of the norm, I hate to say normal category, but the ones that are working together, maybe they need to be a little bit more vocal and active on, on social media and doing TikToks together and doing things that like, because that's what seems to drive the, um, the focus these days, right? So like President Biden was overseas and gave like a 45 minute news conference in which he was answering questions about China and about Vietnam and about all those different things. But the news snippet became certain things that were hyper-focused on um, because of a comment he made about being up for uh, how tired he was or whatever. And that's all that was focused on on social media. And because that seems to be driving the narrative more and more, I wonder if maybe that might be a way to kind of get it more seen by more people 
if more congressmen, and not that they're not busy with doing other things, but maybe that maybe that needs to happen more. I hate to say that, but I don't know what else can kind of bring it to the kind of drop back to the center again to show that people actually are working together, and it's not just kind of a clown show that we see kind of happening when there's fights, you know, almost breaking out on on the floor because that's what seems to get the most coverage, right? It's almost like if it bleeds, well, it leads. It goes back to people want to be entertained, right? And there there isn't that understanding about the importance of civility and democracy and wanting to ensure that, um, you know, we have good government and we have strong policy that's going to lead our nation in, in a positive direction on a number of policy issues, whether it's education, um, technology, commerce, and like trade, transportation, you name it. These are all issues that Congress is working on defense, um, environment. So um, there are some groups that are out there. So. Um, there's a Common Ground Committee. They have um, a podcast that they do. Um, so they're, they're a good group out there um, that are doing some good work. There's um, groups like Center Forward that really brings members together at different dinners and stuff like that. I'm not sure what they do on social media, but I have to check it out. But I'm happy to kind of aggregate a list of resources that I have and, and share that with you so you guys can get that to, to the broader Marine community. Um, so people are aware of some other outlets that are out there about some of this stuff going on. But yeah, I think it makes it challenging for politicians to do that just because of the nature of the elections, right? They'd want to put stuff out there and then come their Democrat or Republican primary election have it used against them. Oh, they're not, they're not, you know, they are working with the other side of the aisle. Ooh, like, <laughs> that's bad. I mean, I think people don't realize the value of long-term long policy and having that in place. And it sounds like you probably some of you are probably like wondering like long-term policy. What is that? Again, it is it, it is you know drafting legislation. It's it's getting down and, and writing text for things so that um, it can be again something that's going to be there for a long time to help govern various issues. So it sounds like you you have some optimism. I know there's a lot of bleak headlines and surveys about this kind of state of democracy and, and where we've been in the last um, however many years you want to <laughs> look back. Um, are you, what are you optimistic about in the future of American politics and what might you be uh, concerned or pessimistic about? Well, I'm optimistic for Gen Z. So thanks for everyone for coming out. I'm very, very excited that you guys are here and listening today. Um, I am. I think Gen Z, you know, there's a lot of, lot of change that's coming and there's a lot of ability for you to have a strong voice. Um, and that to me is exciting because, I mean, for the first time, Congress elected its youngest member of Congress this past cycle, 25 years old. So out of Florida. So um, that, to me, that's exciting. Yeah. First Gen Z, you know, member of Congress um, in Congress. So you guys have a voice already in Congress. Um, to me, I'm very excited about that. Uh, I'm excited. I'm saddened by something, you know, hearing that Mitt Romney is going to be leaving because, again, that, that kind of is, he's part of that faction of let's kind of common sense, let's work together, let's get things done. Yes, we're not going to agree on everything, but, you know, let's not have, you know, perfection be the enemy of good. So I think that's a really, really Thing that he pushed in the caucus pushed the problem solvers caucus to want to um, make greater change in this country um, I am encouraged by their work I think it's great I think it'll continue um, to thrive they have more members this Congress than they had last Congress so that's good that's growing um, but at the same time you know 
when you when you have these big issues, there's only so many members. 60 members out of 438, that's all, you can only make so much of a difference. Um, and so, you know, having those key Senate allies is important. And so, I am saddened by that, but I am hopeful that others will step up. And I am also um, excited about ranked choice voting in this country, as there's a big movement going on with that. Now, that's not in Illinois, but there is a movement going on that they're bringing that I think an initiative to South Dakota. And so there is a nationwide effort going on by some various groups to kind of push ranked choice voting to make people's voices stronger in elections. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so you've had positions at all three levels of government. Um, what observations do you have to share? You know, maybe either differences between what it's like to work at those levels of government or is one more efficient or effective or any kind of takeaways that you might be able to share with the group? Yeah, I mean, I guess for a long time, you, you don't often realize that you have three layers of government. They call it the layer cake, right? <laughs> so your federal, your state, your local, right? And that applies to your legislative branches, that applies to your executive branches, and that applies to your judicial branches. So you have all three levels of government that have kind of this layer cake model, um, I guess you should say. And so one of the things that surprised me in Congress, so I worked most of my time in the state level first. And so I really got engaged and like I've written hundreds of pieces of legislation. So I am not an attorney, but surprisingly you don't have to be an attorney to write legislative text. Um, and so um, I wrote legislation for human services, mental health legislation, I wrote legislation for infrastructure legislation, you know, um, capital appropriations legislation. So I think at the state level, um, it's very, very policy, policy driven when it comes to the legislative side. Um, I would say at the federal level, you get more of a bird's eye view. There's so much money that the federal government passes down to the states to distribute through the, the fiscal federalist system we have um, that like so much money is, is pushed down to the state and local levels that um, you don't get to see your impact as much at the federal level. And that's one of the things that motivated me to want to be a trustee saying, hey, you know, let's go grab more of that federal money. Um, let's let's go after it. You know, let's let let's you know be aggressive in pursuing that. So, um, I guess at the local level, it's been really awesome just getting to interact with people that um, get to benefit from your policy making and the work that you're doing. So, you know, you kind of you kind of lose sight of that at the federal level, and you miss that. So that's something that I really miss working at the federal level. So I'm so glad to be back here at Moraine and uh, involved in the local level. We're very glad to have you. Um, before, I have a, a, one more question that I had pre prepared before today. Um, so, again, one more opportunity here to, to ask questions uh, that you may have for Trustee uh, O'Day. Um, so, is there, do you have a favorite politician? And if so, what makes them your favorite politician? All right, I'm going to go to my notes here on this one, too. It's Abraham Lincoln, who I'm, a, I, we are the land of Lincoln, right? So. <laughs> Um, if you've never been down to the Lincoln Museum in Springfield, Illinois, I highly recommend it. It's very cool. It's very interactive. It'll give you a greater appreciation of, of President Lincoln and the challenges that he went through. Um, but one of the things that I, when I talk about Lincoln is I like to go back to his second inaugural address over 150 years ago. And at that time he was giving that address. It was right before the Civil War was about to end. The Union was kind of in the lead. They were looking pretty good. And he did it, he prepared the speech, not, not so much to say like, rah, rah, the union's winning, right? He kind of prepared it 
he prepared the speech in a way to get the American public ready to kind of move together in this next phase of kind of coming together when we were really divided. We were, we were, we were more divided then than some would argue we are now. Um, and so he ended by saying, with malice towards none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle for his widow and orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. And so those powerful words he spoke on that second inaugural um, were really about trying to get the nation to come together rather than rah-rah, I'm giving a political speech and, you know, rallying on. Um, and he wanted us to see that there was there were sacrifices on both sides and whether who was right or wrong, it was now time for us to move forward. And I think, I think that's where we're at now. I mean, I think that our nation has been very, very, very divided over these last few years. Some can argue for a variety of different reasons. Um, you can argue that it's been social media. You can argue that it perhaps was former presidents. You can argue um, whatever you may argue. But regardless, people have lost family members. They've lost friendships over politics. You know, half of people won't date someone of the other political party. One-fourth of college students won't become friends with someone of their different political party. Well, I think we need to change that. And I think Lincoln, going back to his words, had some powerful things to share with us. And I think, you know, if we don't reflect on history, then history will repeat itself. And so that is why, you know, I, I say Lincoln is my favorite. I think he was, he was wise beyond his years, not only for his work that he did to end slavery, um, and, but also to bring the nation together. Well, I think that's a great message and theme to end on. Um, I want you to please join me in, in thanking Trustee O'Day for being so generous with your time. And thank you to all of you for attending. Yes, if there were you. individual questions that you'd like to ask up front privately, um, we have some extra time, so now's the time to do it. Thanks I also again, have everybody. Cards, you're all welcome to take one. I'll leave them, I'll leave them up here. You have to say hi to me if you don't want. Um, or come say hi and uh, let me know how I can help you. Hi, Glenn. Hello, how are you? Great to see you. Nice to see you. Um, you might want to switch the mic off.